I'm Mario Munoz, reporting for the Rio Grande Guardian International News Service. The Nonpartisan Migration Policy Institute, MPI, seeks to improve immigration and integration policies and develop new ideas to address complex migration policy questions. Recently, the Migration Policy Institute held a webinar to discuss the implications for migration policies in a new Biden administration. According to the director of the U.S. Immigration Policy Program at the Migration Policy Institute, Doris Meisner, the Biden administration plans to speed up the adjudication of asylum cases from the current period of years just a matter of months. Continuing on the border and the preoccupation that the Trump administration has had with the Southwest border, it's of course been the wall and it has been shutting down the asylum system. The issue of reopening the asylum system, uh, even though it can be done through executive authority, I mean, after all, what Trump has accomplished at the Southwest border was almost entirely through uh, executive authority. So that can be used to undo, but <clears throat> the tension then becomes the one that Jessica and uh, Sarah have alluded to, and that is how do you manage reinstating humanitarian policies that are, after all, in accordance with U.S. law and with international principles in a way that does not generate new flows uh, that make it then very difficult to manage the border going forward. I think it is fair to say that the first order of business will be the Remain in Mexico program. And this is the program, of course, that forces people to wait for their asylum claims to be heard by, while being in Mexico. And there, as Sarah said, the difficulties really are logistical. I mean, the, the policy can be changed, but then what happens? I think that what it's important to look for is this issue of metering and ports of entry. I think there will be a, a, a very heavy emphasis placed on orderliness uh, and uh, uh, sequencing the numbers. So that will involve the government taking over the issue of metering. Right now it's been a informal system, uh, um, um, largely among migrants themselves. So. You can expect, I think, that DHS will begin to take that over. But then, uh, as people are waiting for their asylum claims in the United States uh, rather than in Mexico, there will, I'm sure, be a need to quickly change guidance as, as fully as possible. Only about 1% of those cases are being granted, and that's because the Trump administration put very, very uh, strong constraints uh, into the policy guidance that asylum officers uh, are using. So that becomes a question then of coordination with the Justice Department, because the core of the decisions that lead to how the interpretations for asylum have been made rests with the Attorney General and the Attorney General will need to reverse some of the decisions that were taken in the uh, Trump administration, which then needs to be translated into a shift in policy guidance to asylum officers and to immigration judges. Now, that's not to say that the doors would just be flung open. I mean, the earlier policy guidance has also been strict and narrow, but it at least has been possible to, under certain circumstances, 
gain eligibility for asylum. And that has that was really set aside in the prior administration, and that reverse needs to take place, but it's going to take some time. Now, parallel with that, you've heard reference to the CDC order, emergency order at the Southwest border, and that is another thing to be watching carefully because the administration, the incoming administration has not said what it will do about that. It said it will review it. And, you know, they're coming into office in January. It's highly likely that COVID conditions will continue to be in an emergency state. So it is possible that we would see a new administration maintain the CDC guidance at the border, at least for some period of time, which would also then gain some time for putting the changes into place that allow for there to be a more uh, a functional system for granting asylum. So then you get then to the new policies that a Biden administration wants to advance. And they do include uh, surging asylum officers for handling border cases. That can be done quite quickly. But the Biden administration also wants to authorize asylum officers to do not only the credible fear screening, but also complete the adjudications of asylum cases in order to be able to decide them in months rather than having them languish for years in the immigration courts, uh, which does incentivize misuse of the system in some cases. Um, this proposal for asylum officers doing a full adjudication is one that MPI actually advanced and uh, that the new administration is picking up. And that will require an, a regulation. So given what Sarah told you earlier about regulations, promulgating new regulations do take some time. And that then becomes another constraint in moving forward with a new policies. Similarly, with immigration judges, which the administration has said it would double will require appropriations and will require hiring and training. And so the capacity to build new procedures into place along with the resources required to do it will demand timelines that simply won't be within the first 30, 60 days. However, at the same time on the humanitarian front and where the US stance toward humanitarian issues and protection is concerned, the administration does have a very important opportunity to follow up on what it has said it will do with reopening refugee resettlement and refugee admissions to the United States. There, of course, is an area where the United States has abdicated a longstanding role of global leadership and example setting around the world. The refugee admissions from abroad are at an all-time low, only 15,000 this year. The administration has said that it will ramp them up to 125,000. So in doing that, it will be necessary to rebuild the resettlement networks in the United States, uh, which have been deeply cut and underfunded. But that is certainly possible to do. And in the process of increasing refugee admissions to the United States, a new administration would send very important signals to the world, to the country, uh, and would possibly have the ability then to allocate significantly larger numbers of refugee admissions to the Western Hemisphere, particularly to Central American countries, which could help 
where the border is concerned, because one of the things that we will be looking for from the Biden administration is its intention to establish refugee processing closer to the places from which people are fleeing so that protection is available nearer home, less dangerous journeys. And that shift could be an important overall shift in the way new policies might be looking. Doris Meisner is a former commissioner, U.S. Immigration and Naturalization Service. The director of the Migration Policy Institute office at the NYU School of Law, Musafar Chisti, says that he expects the Supreme Court to continue to affirm that the president's authority on immigration is quite extensive. First about the the congressional possibilities and then what we are likely to see uh, in the Supreme Court. Uh, so this is sort of the third moment in the last 20 years when we have sort of tantalizingly seen the prospect of a, a big sort of move on immigration reform. Uh, immigration, as Sarah pointed out early on, did not come up in any of the speeches of the president, or president-elect or the vice president-elect uh, this weekend. Uh, it did not come up as a huge issue in the election campaign towards the end in general. But uh, president-elect did make an important announcement during one of the debates that he will send a bill to Congress in the first 100 days. Uh, that was a surprise to a lot of us, uh, but be just because of the other crowded agenda that they're going to be faced with. But it's also very important for the base of the Democratic Party. So in that regard, one can expect that there will be some movement towards uh, immigration reform legislation. But we know that's an uphill task. And what tells us it's an uphill task is sort of the experience over hope that we have confronted in the last two decades of immigration reform history. Uh, you know, there are mega events that have come in the way of immigration reform becoming a possibility, and then the realities of divided houses of Congress. Let's just quickly remind ourselves that President George W. Bush, probably the most pro-immigrant Republican president in recent history, came to the office thinking that we're going to get comprehensive immigration reform in six months. Uh, and we know that 9-11 happened, one of the biggest mega events, and it's essentially stopped immigration reform, even from being considered in Congress for about five years. President Obama came to office in 2008. Everyone thought this was going to be a major part of the president's agenda in the early part of the administration, but he was confronted with the Great Recession, and there was no possibility of any immigration reform legislation in the first term of the Obama administration. And unfortunately, similarly, uh, when this administration takes effect with a lot of hope that there'll be significant change on immigration, the first things that the president-elect will have to deal with is the pandemic. So that makes, I think, real progress on some other important issues very difficult for in the immediate future. And then there's a story about the divided houses. Uh, here, let me just quickly remind all of us that the, in 2005, when Congress first had the ability to tackle on immigration, the famous Kennedy-McCain bill, celebrated as one of the hallmarks of bipartisan legislation, never got even voted on in the Senate. 
At that time in 2006, there was a very restrictive censor Brenner bill passed by the House, and then it did not go anywhere in the Senate. In 2006, the Senate actually passed a very significant comprehensive immigration reform bill by a wide margin. It never went anywhere in the, uh, in the House. House actually, both House and, and Senate in 2006 passed significant restrictive bills, but they were never reconciled. In 2007, there was a prominence, again, comprehensive immigration reform bill. It did not even get a vote. It never survived a cloture vote in the Senate. And the famous, the Gang of Eight bill in 2013, which emerged after uh, President Obama's victory in the re-election, that got a thumping two-thirds majority in the Senate and hit the, the big wall in the House and never became law. So we have unfortunately experience here in divided house in a very polarized Congress in the last few years. Just on the other side, during the Trump administration, the House has passed reasonably significant immigration bills, one on the DACA and the, and the TPS and one for the separate bill for TPS for the Venezuelan, passed in the House, did not even get a hearing in, in the Senate. So we are confronted here with possible reality of a, of a similar so a sort of polarized uh, Congress on this issue. So the prospects of a very large bill going through Congress in the early stages of this administration, I think the chances of that are, are, are slight. But there may be possibility of doing some small board bills. And the two candidates for them could come sort of on the coattails of what will be the big challenge of this administration, which is COVID that we're going to possibly see a relief bill coming out of, out of Congress. And if there's a COVID-related relief bill, one can see that there'll be possible to do something for the essential workers because they have gotten a lot of prominence in the last six to nine months. And the two candidates for that is to provide some financial relief to them in the form of the stimulus checks that many, or in fact, all unauthorized were excluded from in the prior stimulus bills. So one can see that there will be some movement either on the eligibility for them for financial uh, relief or from relief in the unemployment context. There may be some possibility that if DACA moves ahead as one of the small bore uh, immigration legislations for which there is more consensus, that there may be some consensus of some legal status, even on a temporary basis for essential workers. So from my vantage point, I would think that those are sort of the possibilities that one should be looking at. Just quickly shifting on the court. Now, Supreme Court, this was a very crowded agenda for the Supreme Court in the last four years. About 25 odd uh, cases landed up at the Supreme Court. This is like a tsunami for those who follow immigration at the, at the Supreme Court. So you could, one would argue that are we going to see a repeat of that in the Obama administration or are we going to see a reversal of that? And here, you know, you could look at it from both points of view. One of the reasons why there was a lot of activity at the district court levels in immigration cases and people thought that injunctions were coming in all directions. But at the end of the day, most of those cases that landed up the Supreme Court, Supreme Court landed up saying that the president has a lot of leeway in immigration. 
that the authority on immigration is quite extensive. The only two exceptions to this were the DACA and the census case, where the Supreme Court did not reject the authority of the president, just said that the president had not exercised that authority properly. So in one say, you could say that there has been a, a further reaffirmation of the president's authority on immigration in the last four years, that that could potentially come to the advantage of the Biden administration when it starts to move on immigration. Uh, so I think that is something for, for people to watch. There are three cases pending before the Supreme Court in this year, one related to the wall that Jessica basically hinted on, one related to the MPP, and one related to the use, to the counting the unauthorized for the reapportionment. Now, we, we don't have time to speculate on how those will come out, but those are some things for us to watch just in the very early part of the Supreme Court's new calendar. I can't tell you whether there's going to be a more crowded or less crowded agenda on the Supreme Court the next year. I think a lot of it will depend on how much executive action happens. We know it was a big tsunami in the last four years. You could argue that happened because the immigration advocates were busy sort of fighting every battle uh, in, the, in the Trump arena. But on the other hand, you could also say there was just so much immigration action by this administration that the litigants had no choice but to fight all the way. So whether we'll have a tsunami or we'll have a decline in the, in the level of activity is one of the things that remains to be seen. You've been listening to highlights of a Migration Policy Institute webinar that was held on November 9th. I'm Mario Munoz reporting for the Rio Grande Guardian International News Service.